Wait, wait, I can't see it. Ayo. Ayo is right. <laughs> I had to join late working with a mouse here, people. Yeah, mice aren't too cooperative. I, I have so many mice in this house. I've killed, let's just say I've killed mice. <laughs> I've killed he doesn't quite like a mice. few mice. Hey, I, I have no problem with them. They don't try to shit all over your blackstone or eat your wires, whatever the wires may be. I just don't like it, so got to deal with it. Yeah. Anyway, before we go down that mouse hole. Yeah. Brutal. There it is. How's it going, brother? Not bad. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Um, nice to get to the end of the week here. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, really. It, did you watch, uh, uh, you watch any games? Yes, I did. I watched the Wings game, unfortunately. Oh, the uh, Blackhawk one? Yeah. It was nice to watch the Pengs game, though, because, you know, seeing a bunch of kids beat on Crosby and Malkin, it's never a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad. Um, we all know that that's just, uh, at, at the most, maybe like a three-off. Not quite a one-off, but a three-off. Yeah, but I mean, we we'll all take what we can do. get. We yeah. all have our work to do. That's all right. But um, yeah, so recently we uh, we went to that Red Wing alumni game at the Barry. Yeah. So this is the uh, Barry Event Center in Marquette, Michigan, where uh, Northern Michigan University Wildcats play D1 hockey. It's a nice rink, uh, really fun to play in, uh, Olympic size rink, so it's bigger than NHL. And uh, United Way, the charity organization, got together with a bunch of former NMU players, former AAA players, a lot of people who are staples of the community, and uh, thought put a hockey game on for charity. And they got uh, some Red Wing alumni to come out and play. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, it was nice to uh, hear about it from a lot of friends that – you know, I keep in touch with, um, being two States away, but, um, just seeing all the guys uh, that, you know, we used to play with all the time and getting out there against X Red Wings. Play. That was a good one, by the way. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Against X Red Wings. That was, that and, was organic. Uh, that wasn't, uh, inserted. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no need for a noise box. I can make more of those. Hold on. Yeah. Just make sure it's coming out the top end. It's coming out the top end, people. I don't have a mic down here. Okay, so maybe we um, can get you one. We at hey, you want to spend money on me and uh, my bottom parts? That's fine with me. Have at it. But right, that's I'll a whole another do. whole another whole story. <laughs> so um, anyway, we uh, we go to this game, and uh, yeah, it's you know it's alumni, but. Uh, you started getting a little bit fishy because the roster of the alumni team was very much veiled in secrecy. Uh, yeah. You go online and you try to find articles about just who's going to be there, who's going to be playing, and it could not find anything. I mean, it was like a link to the actual alumni organization page. So you had uh, just this like really long list of uh, rhetorical Red Wings that could be there. But then you just kind of jot him off the list yourself because you're like, well, he lives in Russia. He lives in Russia. He lives in Russia. Um, <laughs> he lives in the, Sweden. Uh, he lives in Sweden. He lives in Sweden. And it was also um, right at the same time as the Red Wing prospect camp going on in Traverse City. 
Right. So it was like, you know, Draper, Dan Cleary, Nicholas Cronwall, Lidstrom, Lidstrom, Kirk Malpe, uh, and then obviously Iserman watching from the press box, if they even have a press box at center ice arena. I've been there. It's nice, but I don't think they have a press box. I digress. They are not probably going to come up here for an alumni game that's not actually against another NHL alumni team, right? Right. But a boy can dream and dream I did. And then I woke up and it's funny (laughs) because going to this game actually severely shortened the length of the segment we are currently doing on the (laughs) alumni game because when everybody came out, it was basically Mickey Redmond and Joe Kosher, which is amazing. I read a list of the players um, a couple of days ago and I think I said probably 10 times like, who the fuck is that? I've never heard of that dude in my life. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of um, a lot of the uh, old guys we play with on Sully's skate. Uh, I was talking to them, and a couple of them played because they, you know, they had coached a lot of these players that were also on the Uper United or Upers right. United, which was the uh, the Marquette alumni team. Yeah. Um, and which definitely had youth and speed as their advantage against the yeah. Red Wing alumni. The I did read that a couple of veteran guys, though. Um, John Nebel was one of them who was the Marquette high school head coach for a long time. Yeah, and, we uh, play with him at Sully Skate. Oh, he's playing with you guys now? Yeah, and uh, he okay. actually scored a nice goal in this game. Yeah, that's what I heard. Game. Uh, I don't think he scored against Eddie Mio. Eddie Mio is the one actual Red Wing alumni goalie, and uh, I think he must have gotten hurt in the first like seven minutes, which is funny because uh, the last time I saw him in a alumni game, I think it was on, you know, the one against Toronto. Yeah. Like 10 years ago in, mm-hmm. in the big house. And yeah. uh, he got hurt there too. So <laughs> that's what happens just, when you only play once every 10 years. Yeah. And his equipment looked like it too. And so did the rest of the Red Wings. Yeah. Uh, well, Mickey Redmond didn't even wear a helmet. Right. So, you know, the less equipment you have, the less likely it is someone on a podcast is going to shout out just how shabby your equipment looked. But exactly. uh, the, re- the rest of them, it was like that. Like Joey Koser had uh, Red Wing-esque socks, but not actual Red Wing socks. Like he won <laughs> two cups with the team and he, <laughs> he can't find a pair, a pair of fucking <laughs> Red Wing socks. <laughs> And it's like that would have been, you know, the little persnickety stuff is like, oh, he's got a red helmet with like uh, black ear loops and a black chin guard. That would right. have been, like, you know, OK, you can you can criticize me for bringing that up. That's a little ridiculous, but just no socks. You don't have the right socks. And the rest of the team, uh, you could tell that they had played so little a time with the organization some of them I found out were ones that like got traded in like a three or four way trade and just said, ah, oh, really? fuck it, I retire. So they never actually played for <laughs> the wings, but their contract went to Detroit. Shit like wow. That. They really pulled those out of the depths. Yeah. Cause it's like, who's, who's willing to come. Right. Who's I was really available? surprised. I was really surprised McCarty didn't show up because he usually yeah. does literally anything that's yeah, Red Wing, he, Michigan related. He's usually in the area too. Yeah. Right. Because uh, Dano, our buddy, went golfing uh, at his uh, outing, and I think smoked a little uh, smoked a little weed with him just uh, oh, about sure. two to a week or two prior to that. But 
That's anyway, um, show up. yeah, right. <laughs> he was still, uh, <laughs> yeah. He, um, so it was, it was a great turnout. The place was packed. You know, they had uh, Hockey Town Authentics. They had a little table set up so you could buy game used sticks and gloves and whatnot. Oh, and, that's cool. You know, way price gouged pictures with autographs that the guys had literally just autographed probably five minutes prior to that. Well, of course. You know, I saw I saw a guy give a bag of pucks to another guy and he said, so I need 10 from Mickey and I need 10 from Joey. <laughs> so he's just running down to the the locker room to do that. But uh, it was a, it was a really good time. I guess they, they raised like a hundred thousand dollars for United really? way just from that game. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. It was, it was a good time. And seeing Mickey, come on. Like every time he touched the puck, every time he was on the ice, that was everyone's favorite. Mickey. Oh yeah. I can imagine. Michigan God, uh, just recently, by the way, uh, inducted into the Michigan sports hall of fame. So good for him. Yeah. Mickey way to go. If you're, if you ever hear this somehow, here's a ginger ale for you, buddy. Yeah, I don't have yeah. one, but you know what? But next time, next time I'll, I'll send spirits you and spirits. I'll teach you how to go. I'll teach you how to go to the store before we record. Thank you. I need that. Yeah, Why don't you write I, it down, I love you, man. I love you. Send me. I'll write it down. I'll send it. I'll send it right to you. But right. you know, Mickey um, was actually fifty years ago this year was on. Uh, Team Canada in that summit series, the 1972 summit series versus the Soviet national team, the Red Army team, you know, the fabled Red Army team. And uh, you and I have actually been watching CBC's new documentary that's been coming out uh, every week on this summit series. And uh, it's essentially this, you know, this was a Cold War activity between two large military powers you know and and if anyone scoffs at the notion of canada being a military power you don't know shit about 20th century combat so let's move on from that but uh you know a real part that really mm, broke down the (laughs) the series for me was ken dryden sort of pontificates the reasons and purity behind canada's pride as a nation and um you know, how any people's identity can sink or swim with a game, like a game like hockey or game like anything, but it's, it's hockey. And right. uh, the 72 summit series versus the Soviet union is clearly the moment in time that uh, Dryden himself came face to face with what it means to be Canadian as I'm positive. It was for millions of uh, his compatriots. So it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine even having grown up playing hockey my whole life and our whole lives. Uh, you know, we've always known that Canadian hockey is just that one tiny step above, not necessarily always in their skill, but just the way that they appreciate the game and um, just how they look at it as it is more of a culture and it's almost, you know, their version of a religion in a way, just yeah. because it's so embedded in them from the get-go when they're born it's you know everybody plays hockey um pretty much every celebrity you've ever heard of who's canadian probably used to play <laughs> yeah you know keanu reeves yeah <laughs> it, it just keanu others, reeves, but... actually no i just read that it's actually just keanu reeves is the only right. He's, okay. canadian celebrity to ever even put on skates so okay so um, yeah yeah but uh, i don't know at this website i got that from it's it's new 
but I don't uh, know. Uh, is that the yeah. one that Ryan Reynolds made? That was the Ryan Reynolds uh, hockey Keanu Reeves website. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's new on uh, Hulu's little subsidiary thing. Yeah, called Fool You, something like that. I can't read, but um, this was uh, the <laughs> first time. Yeah, <laughs> I'll learn it someday. This was the first time, which is interesting uh, to learn, but because of the Olympic rules of always being amateur players and their best players obviously already being in the NHL as a country, this was the first time uh, Canada was actually able to put together a team of their best players, their very best players, which, like I said, is what would that have felt like at the time with Canada as a country with their pride so wrapped around hockey and knowing that the best players come from their country and really not yet knowing that there are other players playing a different style of game, but very much at the same elite level. Right. That, if not even more uh, existed, so. If, if not more so, that existed in a place that was politically and geographically and culturally just so far away, so far off the map to them. That um, shut off from the rest of the world. I mean, the Soviets were, you know, there's the Iron Curtain was a real thing. They were completely... Yeah segregated from everybody else and no one really had a clue of how they lived, what they're, you know, right. Everything they heard about them. It's like, what's the it, reasoning behind that? No one knows. Right. It's funny. Cause it, that's the jokes that Americans make about Canada because yeah. it's, it's, it's up there and it's isolated and they're all just a bunch of Canucks with no teeth and hockey sticks. And they, you know, they fuck moose and all that stuff. But, uh, right. Russians, so interesting. Russians do that too. Yeah, it so it's out. A, they yeah, <laughs> yeah. They like so, but uh, exactly. <laughs> so but, it's interesting uh, to see how much they were similar, um, and didn't even know it. Yeah, they just had to collide, and what a you know on a universal spectrum, I guess it's a very weird reason for these two countries to come together for the first time in a very long time. Um, yeah, you, you know, a hockey game, a hockey series. Right. Of, of all the things. Yeah. So I don't know if this was like a, an ominous feeling to them to learn that uh, Bobby Orr and Bobby Hall were not going to play for Team Canada because at the time they were certainly considered the two best players. But uh, Bobby Orr right. had his uh, famous knee injury that, you know, shortened his career anyway to what, just, just about 10 years. He watched from the stands the entire time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they missed him for sure, as it turns out. Yeah, they missed out on like three or four other people that they wanted who had were going to or already did sign in the WHA. Yeah, and that was the big story with uh, Bobby Hall. He signed with the Winnipeg Jets. I don't know if it was contractual or whatever, but he was essentially, it seemed, kind of shunned. Right. Because as much as this was a Team Canada, it – that 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 shunning of Bobby Hall really proved that it was also very much part of the like the Norris boys club of the NHL, you know. But, oh, absolutely. Uh, outside of those two players missing, it's just the way the media hyped it up and the way that Canadians knew that they were the best goddamn country when it came to hockey. So uh, they thought they were going to win this thing eight straight. So this was an eight-game series. Is confusing at first. You got to really look at the logistics of the whole thing because it came out to like um, I don't know t- uh, ties. Remember, ties were still a part of hockey at the time. 
Right. So there was no shootout. There was no absolute winner. There has to be a winner. So somehow the eight um, probably should have looked this up, but uh, <laughs> there, there are uh, there are reasons to their structure when it came to an eight game series. But they were going to play eight, and uh, just about every Canadian, including all the players, thought they were going to win eight straight. And the Russians, it turned out, also believed the hype because uh, they thought of Canada as this mythical place, a lot like their country, you know, northern, secluded. And uh, the one thing they really knew about Canada was uh, that's where the hockey superheroes came from. And they all went and played in this league called the NHL. Right. That's something that they had never had the privilege of doing or even the option. And uh, Oh, yeah. That's yeah, oh, man, they were, that's a whole they were other scared. Bag of they were worms. scared shitless. Like, yeah, I mean, what, they were. What did you say about um, uh, was it Mikhailov? Yeah, Mikhailov. You know, first of all, the the government didn't even the USSR. They didn't even want to play this series until they felt really that they could compete to the point where they were telling their players like, "Let's lose with grace when we lose. When right. we lose, let's lose with grace." And uh, yeah, the. You know, there was a lot on the line. This was uh, cast as capitalism versus communism, system versus system. And Mikhailov said he could feel the sweat rolling down his back when the, when they read the uh, player lineups on each blue line for game one. You know, he was he was afraid. There's no doubt. And well, yeah, uh, I mean, I can't imagine. You hear all these names that you've heard about for years and know what they've done. They're accolades and accomplishments and it's like holy shit they're on the other blue line yeah they're on the other blue line (laughs) yeah and and, you know the other thing too is like how catered the ussr thought the nhlers were because you have things like contracts and you have things like uh freedom to choose what fucking team you go play for and uh the soviets you know it's easy for them to forget i think that they were enlisted or conscripted, however the hell it worked. Um, and they had one goal that was placed for them by their military, by their government. And that was to play hockey and win hockey games and win hockey tournaments. So yeah, I'm sure it would be easy for them to forget while looking at these superstars on the other blue line, just how much they themselves were going to bring to the, the ice because yeah. uh, they were, they were, absolute beasts you know i mean like they, were, they were gold medalists yeah they over and over and over again is crazy the, the the slated difference in this theory was that well yeah you always win these gold medals but it's because you're not playing these nhlers because nhlers aren't allowed to play in olympic and international play right right so here comes the big difference well that turned out was uh that was a dubious concept just because they called the soviets amateur it it doesn't really mean that they were they just didn't have the freedom to play for anyone else and they didn't get paid more than you know whatever their tiny monthly stipend was their military pay and the fact that yeah you got three square meals and but they bunked together they they essentially lived uh on the moon where they trained and trained and trained and this was before Essentially, there was really before artificial ice, and I don't mean artificial ice like fucking plastic ice, whatever the this new ice they have now. I mean like right. 
if they had ice, it was because it was so cold outside that ice was possible. So they right. didn't have that outside of winter, which is, you know, it's like UP winters. I said it's like 10 months of it, but still that's two months of training without ice. But, uh, those guys pissed blood. They worked out so hard. Yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, I want anyone to go on, on YouTube and look up Soviet hockey training videos and see what these guys were doing. But it, um, it eluded them at the time. They were not able to remember just how trained they were. Right. You know, so they, they were afraid of these, uh, they were afraid of these Canadians. And the first game was at the Montreal forum in front of a packed Canadian crowd. And uh, Vladislav Tretiak, the famous, famous, famous Russian goaltender, was uh, 20 years old at the time. And he he recalled being so amazed and excited to play in like the shrine, the hockey shrine that was the Montreal Forum. And uh, he even said he had never heard music played at a hockey game before. That's fucking wild. Yeah. If, if that is something that can really draw you in to the differences and just, man, how you can empathize with those poor those poor guys. You know, they're playing a game that obviously they loved as kids. And, God, they just – the powers that be just suck all the fucking fun out of it. Yeah. They're not doing it for fun at all. They're not even doing it for money. They're not doing it for anything other than uh, making a political power move for the government pretty much. Yeah. Just to prove as like another appendage of – the Soviet superpower and it all comes down to our system is the best. And look at this example of that, which is a, is like fucked up logic anyway. Right. <laughs> They're like, well, our hockey team's really good. Therefore uh, waiting in line, waiting in lines for toilet paper and old beats is preferable to what you guys got going in the rest of the world in the Western world. Yeah. But um, a few Canadian players, did recall being very nervous like uh gary bergman and phil esposito you know they said they hadn't been that nervous since uh probably their first pro games but after that it kind of fell off a little bit guys like yvonne cornway i remember uh tony esposito was cocky as hell oh yeah saying you know that the russians uh they weren't very good and they were gonna get showed up all the way back to moscow he thought his shit didn't stink yeah, he thought his shit definitely didn't stink. And it's funny because it's easy to say that when you're not the starting goaltender, I guess. So uh, <laughs> they uh, so the game gets going, and uh, Canada comes out pretty pretty early. Uh, Phil Esposito scores a goal right away. And uh announcer even said something about him being the flop of training camp. <laughs> but, you know, he's the hero now. So <laughs> I don't know what the flop of training camp meant. Considering mm-hmm. we find out a little bit later that all of those guys in training camp like just didn't do fuck all to yeah, actually yeah. get into game shape. You know, this they was August. Flopped. Yeah, they all flopped. What did Bobby Clark said? He was like, we, you know, we thought this was going to be a nice little vacation and just go to different cities in Canada and play hockey against this team and beat the living shit out of them every time and just have a nice relaxing time. So I guess right away you come out and you score pretty early. So far, so good. Yeah. Right. And uh, the crowd clearly loved it. And that's going to feed into their feelings. You know, this was their moment as a people because there was just so much more on the line, like we said, than who the best hockey country was. 
and they're right. just feeling it. But the the fans definitely did not understand at the time, and I don't think they understood for a long time. Um, a good one of the examples is what uh, Harry Sinden, the head coach of Canada, said about training camp, or you know whatever you want to call it, because they certainly didn't do any of that. <laughs> uh, no was yeah that uh, the Russian players would get up at 6 a.m. and run around the hotel to stay in shape. Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of the Canadian players were just getting into the hotel at that time because yeah. they're fucking partying all night. Right, you're out partying. And uh, I think a reporter asked Phil Esposito about that. His response was pretty funny. He's yeah, just so like, it's, uh, yeah, well, I, I didn't make him do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're all forgetting yeah. fucking early. So I was like, what the hell are you asking me about what time I get in? You know? Right. But yeah, I so th- this is this is August. That means that you know th- these NHLers are not in uh, mid-season shape. But as that comment by that reporter about the Soviets getting up early in the morning to run around alluded to, uh, the Soviets are never not in mid-season shape. Right. Uh, even to the point where it was mentioned in the episode, the first episode, that uh, the Canadian scouts. The coaches, you know, they're banking on some weird stuff. One of them was uh, Trediak was a bad goalie. You know, he couldn't stop a balloon because they had scouted a game where he couldn't stop a balloon, essentially. And what they forgot to investigate was the fact that this was the game after the day Trediak got married. So, you know, how would anyone feel the day after their wedding? A Russian yeah. wedding, no fucking yeah. doubt. So, <laughs> yeah, you're you're not doing too well. So that's that's a flop on the uh, scouts. And Esposito threw a little bit of shine or shade in there, rather, uh, saying that those were actually uh, Maple Leaf scouts. So you know, oh, big, big rivalries back then. With Esposito being a, a Bruin, and the league being so damn small. I mean, you're essentially a rival with with anybody. Yeah. You know? But uh, yeah, yeah, so the even after. Um, Canada goes up 2 nothing. Phil Esposito and Paul Henderson score. You know, the wingers start noticing they're lining up on the face-off circle, and they're looking over to their Russian counterparts. And these guys aren't even breathing hard, yeah. like at all. And yeah, it's and these already guys are killing these drip and sweat. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're dying out there. Already. So, you know, there's little things like uh, the Canadians noticing just how crappy and uh, – old shitty and probably knock off they've never even fucking heard of the uh brand names of most of the stuff the equipment that the soviets yeah. were using was to the point that you know they're nhlers they're not going to use shit like that so you know you're watching that but at the same time you go that guy just played the same shift i played and he's not sweating and he's not heaving and i want to die like i'm about mm-hmm. to fucking puke so those are juxtapositions that are probably starting to get into your head like shit we may be up two nil but you know these guys are not intimidated and they weren't um oh to throw in you know foster hewitt the legendary uh toronto maple leafs play-by-play guy yeah he uh in his old age he came out of retirement to call the tv feeds for this so this was again just That's to reiterate deal. just how freaking huge a deal this was yeah. And um, I also I like this documentary because you guys check it out on CBC. Um, however, it is in your region, wherever you live, you can do that. Uh, yep. Do that. Um, but uh, they don't cut away from game footage 
just to show people talking, which is often the case in documentaries. You want to see the person sitting in the chair like you see me right now. You know, you want to see an old disheveled version of the guy that you're seeing on the ice. They just kind of plug in the uh, name and number of the person talking down in the lower hand corner. Yeah. And uh, it's cool because, you know, hockey history, if there's ever a context that's needed, it's just to be able to watch, watch the play. Right. You know, and they do it, they do it very well contextually because it's always the guy talking is the person in the play at the time that they're showing. Yeah. You really break down what they were feeling. Right. And they remember that shit like it was yesterday, which is another great example of how much it meant to everybody. It's like, I don't think a single person in Canada that was around at the time missed that airing of those games. Yeah. They probably took off work and shit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a testament to just, how hockey players are. I think um, you basically remember every, almost every play you were a part, at least I do. And I remember plays I was part of, I especially remember watching games on TV. I mean, you know, you and I talk about goals of the past of some of our favorite players and they just, they stick out like, you know, nice shiny sore thumbs in your mind. And uh, those players, they remember that too. So yeah, it, it's cool to see uh, CBC did a, a real good job really setting you up into the setting of 1972 Canada. Yeah. Uh, do you, you uh, see that old Labatt 50 ale commercial? Oh that yeah. They put on there? <laughs> I love those. Yeah. yeah I love <laughs> They looked like uh, those Rhinelander beers. Like they're a little, I don't know what the 50 referred to, whether it was like, because they weren't counting fucking calories back then, so it wasn't something like, no. yeah, it was it was it like fifty coming a a case, fifty that, little Labatt beers coming a case. I really I hope know. so. Now I yeah. need one. <laughs> yeah, I find that so bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those look good. But um, PK Subban news just retired. You yeah. saw that. Yep. Um, yeah. You know it's anyway. We can talk about. PK all day yeah. and later, but his dad was in that doc and he talked yeah, what, about, uh, Ken Dryden being in that summit series, you know, that's right, what made that's, him want to be a that's goalie. Right, yeah. So, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, to just be able to watch one of the guys that you, maybe he didn't even idolize him prior to that, but having that realization during such a, you know, it'd be such a cathartic moment in watching, a guy like Ken Dryden play in front of you in such an important game oh, or yeah. games. It's, that was his uh, little boy aha moment when it came to, yeah. to hockey. You know, right. yeah, I want to be Ken Dryden now. And he, you know, he said that uh, being an uh, immigrant, what, who he didn't sound like those kids. He didn't look like those kids, but uh, hockey brought them all together. And that's really how he made his first, you know, real sets of friends at a young age. And look at, look at what it turned into. I mean, the guy's got three kids in professional hockey. You know, so you can thank this summit series for that. So way to yeah. go on that one. They but you know, this was right. this was such a long, long time ago. And we know the stories of who these legendary skaters are. And you know, Bobby Clark was still young and he was a fourth liner on Team Canada. Just yeah, a scrappy fourth liner. You know, he reminds me of um oh, it was either Vancouver or Sochi. I can't remember at that point, but uh, Team Canada, Jonathan Taves. Oh yeah, had a really good Olympic tournament, and he was like the fourth line center. 
and um, without Vancouver. the missing teeth and the all the scraps, you know, Taves right. Taves can very much be looked at as like a, a Bobby Clark type player in that yeah. Olympic setting. What's crazy There's to me too is nostalgia. the the idea of everyone knows about you know Miracle on Ice. That was 1980. This is still yeah. eight years away from that, and these dudes were just getting on a roll. The Russian players. Yeah. So to have them eight years later be the contender that they were, granted they were playing against a bunch of college kids and shit, but it's right. Hence it's the just, miracle. Um, right. That's the miracle. But, um, you know, like you said, uh, their goalie was only 20 at the time. So you would have been 28, which it to play eight straight years being at the top of your game as a goalie is like fucking unheard of. First of all. Yeah. Yeah. He was but, a freak. Trediak was a freak. You know, like he said, no, but no human could train like them. Yeah. But to get to that point, I mean, you're 28 now. You're still, you're more experienced than ever. And if you can still go butterfly without tearing a groin, <laughs> like you're yeah. going to stop every fucking puck that comes at you. Oh, it's funny you say that too, because um, when he was on the airplane after game one, Trediak was asked by a, a flight attendant if it was true that when he was five years old, if the uh, KGB or the equivalent saw that he was a goaltender and broke his legs on purpose so that he could play butterfly style goaltending, you know, I, I, I guess they just have to come up with these crazy rumors once these right. unknown Russian players beat the living shit out of your best players. They just couldn't believe. Yeah. So I obviously we're, we're getting to that. Uh, yeah, that's how badly those scouts fucked up. <laughs> oh, and speaking of, were you talking about um, 1980 being the big deal that the Soviets were still so on top of the hockey world? So this happened in 72. This is their first real exposure uh, in North America. They obviously dropped the fucking ball again because nobody developed – a system that could compete with the Soviet style hockey. Yeah. I think that ultimately the Canadians just barely winning the summit series. Maybe that's why that happened because you'd think, okay, so you, you see that these guys can really beat the shit out of you. Just smoke your team, your best players. You go, well, why is that? Let's, uh, hockey's so goddamn important in Canada. You know, let's, let's put a special, panel together and figure out how we can contend what do we have to do to our game itself the way that we teach it from the time that these people are you know little tykes right let's uh, adopt some of what they're doing worlds. here yeah and uh, apparently they didn't they didn't do it nearly enough because herb brooks comes around in 1979 and is like we have to develop a new style to beat these soviets so what the hell happened in the years prior to that right. between the summit series and 1980 I don't know. Maybe it is that the Canadians won the series just just barely. They won it though. They won it. So like, ah, we're good. Yep. <laughs> we were gonna yep. do a bunch of shit, but now we, we won. Everyone go back yeah. to yeah, shut the fuck up. Go back to yeah, work. But Nobody fuck cares. All that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares. So um yeah, Team Canada was um was just stacked if if Bobby Clark is a fourth liner. You know, Yvonne Cornway, he had ten cups. He won the Stanley Cup 10 times. I think he played 16 years. So more times than not, very much more times than not, he won the Stanley Cup at the end Absolutely of the season. Absolutely crazy. Right. And he, he was in Montreal, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, you'd yeah, have to so, be to win 10 cups. <laughs> like Ken Dryden, for example. Ken Dryden was still really young into his career, although his career didn't last very long. He uh, right. he retired pretty early. But I believe he won his first cup the year prior to the Summit Series. But uh, he goes on to win a lot more. I think he won six, and he won four in a row in the 70s. Wow. But, uh, you know, you could – just that that just tickles just oh just a little tickle the surface of just how deep that Canadian team was to the point where um Dick Beddoes what if I just stopped there? Just Dick Beddoes. <laughs> Mike drop <laughs> Mike drop Dick Beddoes. Dick Beddoes. Yeah, so Dick Beddoes was a Canadian journalist uh who That's was so confident, man. just like the rest of the <laughs> country in uh Canada's uh impending slaughter over the soviets that he said he would eat the article this sentence appeared in if the soviet team won a single game so you know just remember that um i wonder if that uh wonder if that article is still digesting it's still digesting that's right go out and find uh every every year they should do that especially because this is the 50th anniversary we should print right. out a fuck ton of those some Soviet, like all. a Russian MiG plane just flies over <laughs> all those Canadian <laughs> cities that they put and just drop leaflets, just copies of that, that same article. <laughs> Remember <Yep>. that? <laughs> Eat this fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, hey, we're, we're at the point where uh, the Soviets came on a little bit and uh, they got two goals. And now – you know, as much as the Canadians are just grinding and grinding and dying and dying and sweating and probably puking, I know they left that oh, part out. Sure. But we we know how that goes, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say uh, that when it, you brought up the berries that I've puked in that <laughs> rink many we've times. We've all puked in those trash cans. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, period still ends up ending tied at two. Goes back to a month ago at training camp. Like we said, training, training, that's a. Yeah. Interesting it was word for it. It was camp. It was, yeah, it was like deer camp. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> they were drinking beer. They were going yep. out to bars. They were taking pictures. Smoking they were cigars. Autographs, so smoking cigars. And hell, this was at the point where Canadian guys were probably still smoking cigarettes and drinking whiskey between oh, for sure. periods. You know, yeah. Gila Fleur. Gila Fleur wasn't on this team. It was a bit. Uh, late in his career for that, but he was famous for that smoking, smoking darts, smoking darts between darts. periods. So these guys are still doing this. And, you know, the Russians, they said that they couldn't even go out and buy beer. Like Valery Karlamov was their, always their best player. And he had a little bit more agency and autonomy because he was. So he would right. actually, it, it, it was like living in the dorms in college. Right. Like you he had would the go one and friend who was 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, that's crazy. Back, grown men. Yeah. <laughs> grown men. And this is what they're, you know, maybe something that the Soviets were so afraid of playing the series. It wasn't just that they were afraid to be embarrassed, but this coincided with the 72 Olympics, wherever that was. But you have a lot more Russian athletes involved in that tournament too, right? Uh, so the KGB just didn't have the resources to split off and take the Olympic duties and they, and then also take the summit series duties. So the summit series, the players were as on their own as they have ever experienced in their lives yeah. in Canada. I'm so, sure they didn't know what to do with themselves. 
Yeah. I mean, that's like if they didn't already have a whiff or a concept that the grass was going to be greener over any fucking fence, literally on the yeah. other side of any fence. Uh, this, is, this, this is like a plague bacillus, as they call it. You know, this is an intellectual contagion that is going to latch into their brains and go home with them. And now you're just like sowing the discontent because you see how you were able to live for that little tiny bit of time in uh, in Canada. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, why the fuck you would know, you ever want to go back? Yeah, why would you want to go back? But, you know, they were <clears> – <throat> the Soviets were diligent. So during the training camp for the Canadians – there's this reporter in the documentary saying, you know, they had one thing on their minds and that was to prove that they were the best, but obviously their work ethic in camp did not reflect that goal. Um, and the Russians were getting up at 6am running around their hotel rooms. Um, you know, that may have been a little bit later, but during the actual training camp process, it turns out to avoid jet lag, uh, the Russians were practicing on Canadian time. Right. So when they landed in Canada, their you know, sleep schedule no, was no fine. worse for wear. Yeah. 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 So that wasn't going to help the Canadians at all either. And that's, you know? you know, the other thing is that these guys, like you said, they train year round. They're never not in mid season form. Yeah. So for them to get up to the echelon of finally beating Canada in a game, was just a matter of time because it pretty much was just breaking the seal and figuring out like, Oh yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we know how to do this. We don't have to be intimidated by these guys. Look at them. They're fucking dying out there. Like (laughs) this is easy. Let's just play the game. We always do. And it didn't take long. No, it took all of what half a period for them to come back and score the two goals to, to tie the damn thing. Yeah. And, you know, for the Canadians, it's like now you're wide eyed because you're like, we have s- we have seven and a half more games. Yeah. The hell we get and ourselves we are, into. Are, yeah. What do we get ourselves into? Ken Dryden said, you know, that hit him that it was like, man, if we could only go back a month and we would do <laughs> all of this over yeah. all of this is a different way. So, you know, this all also comes from European training methods starting in children at a very young age. And that just wasn't the same at the time. I mean, I know it, it's that way now, almost to the point where it's it's too much. The competitive nature of parents and vicariously living through your children and their sporting events and, you know, trying to raise these little fucking cash cows so you can selfishly, <laughs> you know, pull a – was it Eric or Jack Johnson? Someone's going to know that. But, you know, they, they're like child actors. They blow all their, their nest egg because that's the whole thing the parents put them right. through. But uh, the Soviets are doing that in spades. It's just there's no promise. So like over here in Canada of, you know, well, if you do it right, you're going to earn what you deserve. In Russia at this point, I think it was just was there a worse job you could be doing uh, in the military as a conscripted person than playing hockey? Uh, Yeah, there absolutely were uh, millions (laughs) probably of worse jobs. (laughs) So this is why you feel on top of the world and hockey's hockey's fucking fun, man. And when you're good at it and your team is good, it doesn't get more fun than that. So there's, we, we cannot forget that these guys sincerely were enjoying themselves. It's just, you know, it's a different system. It didn't reward that level of ability, uh, 
with anything other than just like, Hey, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, you are always dangling by a thread, right? You're, you're, you're not really going to get accolades if you keep winning. Cause that's what you're supposed to do. But if you fucking lose a country that, uh, you know, one of the fucking, one of the guys on Soviet team in an interview said, uh, that, you know, these guys have fancy cars and they got all this money cause they got huge contracts in the NHL and over in Russia, like owning fucking pair of jeans is a status symbol. Oh yeah. That yeah, means you're <laughs> up here and the guy with, you know, ripped fucking sweatpants that he's been wearing <laughs> for 30 years. He's, he's only to play an entire uh, career at an elite level of hockey and he will move up from those holy, holy sweatpants to <laughs> a delicious pair. I mean, so basically if you're in Russia, you can make a a, a decent penny, decent pretty penny in, in boiled denims. Oh, for you sure. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you really can't. Always got to so, boil your um, denims first though. You just, we always boil our denims in Russia. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's dinner and fashion. <laughs> it's also how you stay warm. <laughs> that's how you, you stay know. warm. If they're always you throw, boiled. You throw them on after they're boiled. <laughs> you yeah, frost exactly. a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, either the Soviets, when it came to the training thing, uh, were way ahead or North America was way behind. And I'm obviously ideologically, you could flip that around in a lot of different ways, but, in the hockey sense, in the sports training sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it was a dual notion too. Right. Cause both, both are true. Right. Yeah. Both are true. And you could go way, way, way into that. I blame yeah. the wars for that one, but um, <laughs> the Soviets were just not typical amateur athletes. You know, the NHLers as uh, Phil Esposito pointed out, you know, the, those guys were still, a lot of them were still working summer jobs to make ends meet in the seventies. While yeah. the Soviets were, yeah, they were enlisted military members who played hockey. That was like 100% of their all identity. That's all they did. Were they compensated for it? Not really. Just in like food, staying alive, right. having a fucking place to sleep. I didn't say comfortable, warm place to sleep because I don't know. I don't know how much uh, hyperbole that would be on my part <laughs> to guess that. But, um, you know, Russian hockey was 100%. 100% of the goddamn time. Yeah. Uh, there's another one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, another thing is when you have that, the uh, the Russians playing together for so many years, you have that team understanding, that camaraderie. This Canadian team was thrust into this at training camp. That was a month prior to the series start, right? These guys all play on different NHL teams that are rivals, so yeah, they beat the shit sense, out of like, each other all the time. fucking hate each other, right? Right. So you're going to just yeah. throw that away and learn imagine, how to become a real team? Can you imagine how like many a guys tiny amount of time? on Team Canada, Bobby Clark himself, two-handed in the back of the leg? Right. Every Nobody liked Bobby them. Clark. Everyone. Everyone hated Bobby Clark. Yeah, he was a Everybody fucking menace. Everybody hated Bobby Clark. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know <laughs> – this was a big thing that they had to overcome. You know, you gotta, you gotta put that glue, you gotta find the glue that puts that, that missing part into your machine. That is team Canada. And you got to do it fucking quick. Yeah. But I will say that what a better way to motivate you to do that than reality being a big dose of, uh, 
anti-venom for your dreams or your your yeah, you're in the delusions that you you thought you guys were gonna run away with this one and now these peasants these these fucking serfs yeah. <laughs> are uh they're kicking your ass in front of your own fans and i will say that you know being where they were the canadian team at the time of you know getting tied in the game they definitely stuck with it they had a lot of will and determination just to get oh, through yeah. um because that's all they had they, they didn't have anything left right. in the tank so that's all yeah. you got to use like these guys are very very much talented they are the they're up there with the best players in the world so team canada yeah. when her brooks and, and miracle allegedly on the ice in norway in the dark said you right. think you have enough talent to go to the olympics and win on talent alone gentlemen you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone this team the canadian did. team they had enough talent to win on talent alone uh right. did they have that against this soviet team that that's a not different story maybe yeah. not as much but they certainly had the talent you know because these soviets were such a binding unit that had played together and for years i mean you know they they know all each other's stories and they they have eyes in the back of their heads for each other so and they right. also have uh valeri karlamov yeah <laughs> so that's gonna help so uh four two the 4-2 goal, I think it was a 4-2 goal. It might have been a 4-3. I'm not sure. But uh, Karlamov comes over the blue line, closer to the the left side of the boards, takes a slap shot, absolutely wires one. Yeah, as a fucking past laser. Dryden. I mean, it was it was unreal. And doing it with a wooden stick. You know, it, rem- it yeah. was like that was a, an insane shot. And Dryden essentially just jumped the fuck out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at this replay. He did not want to have anything to do with that shit. Scared yeah, the, the shit out of him. Do? Yeah. Goddamn 1970s goaltending, man. He just jumped the fuck out of the way, you yeah. know? So this is also growing up with uh, our dad and grandpa praising Tony Esposito so much. You know, he was maybe the first goaltender to really utilize the butterfly style in right. the NHL. Which so, came in handy. Yeah, that's going to come in handy. So if Vladislav Tretiak is playing butterfly style and Ken Dryden is jumping out of the way of slap shots, Ken Dryden's yeah. an awesome goalie, but it's just a it's a different style, it's a different era. Right. And I guess that's the reason you have, you know, depth, someone to go to. So if Dryden is not cut out for this job, you know, it stands to reason that uh Esposito's style is really going to come in handy here. Right. Well, I mean, the Russians are practicing against Tretiak in practice, so they're used to trying to score on a goalie who goes down all the time and not yeah. just fucking standing there with his right. goddamn legs open. So use him. Yeah. <laughs> they called him a four-story goalie, but they didn't need that. They needed a tiny little, you know, right. cover the bottom bottom of the net. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, the Canadians thought Tretiak was going to be a weak spot, and. uh couldn't have been more wrong. Couldn't have been more wrong. And thank you, scouts. But I don't know yeah, how right. else you, you plan for that anyway, you know. But yeah. um, uh, they just Canadians couldn't compete with the Russian creativity. And Canadians very much stayed in their lanes. And uh, to the point where they even really only shot from their lanes, it, it right. looked like. Uh, so if you're going down on the right wing and you got the puck 
it was like, shoot, it wasn't even considered like pass it all the way across to your left winger, but the center is first. You should pass it to him, you know? So this is something I implore people to really not only watch this documentary, but seriously go on YouTube and find like find these whole fucking games. You know, if you're, if you're uh, a hockey fan and you want to see, Hey, if you have anything to take with you uh, that might impress you, try to find plays by players, whether they're on team Canada or team Russia or both uh, find plays that look like something a player from today would do. Cause that will, that'll impress anybody that someone in 1972 was doing shit like you see today. Cause not right. all parts of hockey uh, were, you know, from back then are like antiquated and you know, this, this ain't your granddad's fucking hockey, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, no, the game stays the same in many, many ways, just as much as it, it changes. But uh, if you really want to soak up what we're talking about, you know, go, go find uh the feeds of these games and just watch the whole damn thing and really soak it in. And remember this, these were the best players in the world playing each other. Yeah. So that, that never loses its uh, value or it's gusto, you know? And it, yeah. And in doing so, if you watch these videos, I think you will see a fairly stark difference in which teams and where from the nuances of the game end up coming from. Because as Dan was saying, the Canadians really stayed in their lanes while the Russian players were just insanely creative. They find their mates on the ice, no problem, just threading passes all day. And, you know, I think the reason that a lot of the guys stayed in their lanes and shot from the right and left sides of the ice is that the middle wasn't an option. Yeah. You know, the way that the Russians played D, it was just, you could not go up the middle. They would fucking drown you out and push you out oh, to the yeah. wall. Yeah, that's a whole other story, just the defensive yeah. side positioning-wise for the Soviets. I mean, they talk about this all the way up until, you know, you had the big uh, migration from beyond the Iron Curtain to the NHL in the mid-'90s. Yeah. You know, this did not change. And uh, that that's just a testament to how ahead of the curve the Soviets were, but it, it's also a, kind of a – you know, black eye on the North American style and just how bafflingly stubborn people can be. You know, yeah. this, this is right under your nose and you're still not doing anything to change your game. Yeah. So uh, the fact that this was political on top of everything else shows you, you know, they just did not react quick enough at all. So right. we have uh, all of that bound up and in a tiny little uh, exemplary ball comes out to a seven to three Soviet final. Yeah. And uh, I have the, uh, the uh, score sheet here. We have a goal by Phil Esposito, Paul Henderson and Bobby Clark for team Canada. We've got two goals from Yevgeny Zeman. Uh, one goal from uh, Vlad Petrov, who is part of that top line, I think with the, uh, it's Petrov, Mikhailov, and Karlamov, and that yeah. was like the mo- the most legendary line. So you got a goal from him. You've got two from Karlamov, including that absolute dart of a slap shot. <laughs> uh, you got one from the captain, Mikhailov, 
And uh, you've got one from Yakushev, which I believe was one of the younger, younger guys on that uh, Yevgeny Zemin line. That was really uh, impressing and bewildering the Canadians. Um, fun fact, uh, the penalties were actually equal. Each uh, side had eight minutes penalties and the shots were virtually equal. I think it was uh, 32 to 30 Canada. Wow. So, I mean, the proof's in the, the pudding right there. Yeah. Just what the difference was. The Canadians were not ready for this team. No. Yeah, just couldn't hold them off. And uh, that's probably the main reason why they got fucking booed off the ice at the end of the game. Yeah. I mean, I think that was, a, I don't know, just a difference between the different cities and the different fan bases that Canada ended up playing the first leg of this series in. But uh, when you get booed by your own team, or by your own fans, and they're that good of players, your own players are that good, you know, what we will see. It remains to be seen uh, with the rest of this documentary. Uh, they look into it more intimately. If uh, That's more on the fans just really being confused. Right. And like, why uh, is this happening to us? Why is this happening? This isn't supposed to happen to us. Right. We thought the we were the best. The thing on the box, the fucking radio and the thing right. on – the TV the guy told in the newspaper. Me we was gonna win this game. Now they're not. They're not Canadian. They're like you know <laughs> Northeastern <laughs> American. <laughs> Some generic emoji Boston slash Brooklyn slash whatever right. accent slash Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah, it is all over the place. That's we what every single one of those game. Canadian fans sounded like. So. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the point is, is that <clears throat> it was time for Canada to really dig deep. And yeah. uh, to uh, bring it back to why I started talking about this, why we started talking about this, Mickey Redmond, I believe, only played in that first game. Yeah, he played um, one game. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing about what I was saying about going back and actually finding real chunks of footage from these games, as you know, Eric, watching people's careers, I, I, Watching someone's entire career game in, game out is really the only way to appreciate just how good somebody is. Yeah. You know, you really and, – and that that really trickles down to uh, to anything. So even in a game sense, uh, you want to get an idea of who's on this Canadian team because the documentary goes back to a handful of guys. And really it seems it's the handful of guys that are around to participate in the documentary. Right. right. So Doing you got a lot more stuff. guys on this roster. So if you really want to get an idea of the flow and just who was on it, um, you, you got to just watch the entire game, you know, and that'll tell you. So I, I honestly don't know what Mickey Redmond's role was in that first game, but I do believe that he didn't play another game in that series. Uh, but what are you going to do? You know, it was a yeah, I mean, testament to his abilities. Uh, Mickey was a goal scorer. You know, I believe he was the first player to ever score 50 goals in a season for the Red Wings. I don't think he was on the wings at this point in 72. I think he was still a Canadian. Yeah. Um, but right there too. So if you're a young Montreal Canadian on team Canada in 1972, you're pretty you have good. a lot of, <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. have a lot of yeah. other uh, Canadians teammates that you are behind you know because right. they're in the midst of their 
legendary Scotty Bowman 70s. So, I mean, that is a hard, hard lineup to crack. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's episode one of that. And um, I encourage everyone to find that on CBC. It is uh, very unique, and it's a great celebration of um, a wonderful historical happening in the beloved and beautiful world of hockey. Yeah, and if you're not able to watch it now, uh, I'm sure they will – there'll be parcels of it or maybe even the whole thing online yeah, available after it's done. or whatever yeah. buy the fucking dvd on amazon yeah just go for <laughs> it yeah we're just going to take a quick little break and remind everyone that the best way to support do for a sharpening is to leave a review and uh, possibly even a like on whatever application it is you're listening to us on All of that helps discoverability and helps us get better hockey talk into everyone's listening feeds. Thank you so much for those reviews. And now, back to the show. I think it's time to talk about the elephant in the room. It's a big one. It's a big one. It's it's not something that's necessarily been in the news lately, but uh, I think that's just because of media bias. Right, they it's don't not know getting what the missing. attention it deserves, but um, it's terrible. It's really terrible what they did. <laughs> it's it's really brutal <laughs> what they did. And if you're not familiar, Eric and I are talking about uh, one of the earlier scenes in Halloween H two O. Like yeah. we 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 got a problem. <laughs> we really have a problem here. <laughs> We're in trouble. Exactly. <laughs> Um, we, we got a door Mark pirate. Um, no, but, uh, <laughs> in the movie Halloween H2O, Joseph Gordon Levitt, who, uh, is a, you know, beloved American actor at this point in our timeline, who actually was in another movie about hockey. He played, or it wasn't about hockey. He like his backstory was that he used to be a hockey player or something like that. Yeah. He was called the lookout. So that's the one where he like masturbated all the time, right? Yeah. Well, every isn't that most of his movies are that actually yeah. all the movies I watch are Joseph Gordon Levitt. Matt, you know what? Um, Can you say those? Yeah. All oh right. no, I did. You just <laughs> so um, Halloween H two O. Joseph Gordon Levitt is a child. Plays a child. Is a child. A woman, a nurse, it seems. So the Halloween age two of the background is, you know, this is Michael Myers, the Jamie Lee Curtis movies. Michael Myers, he's got the white uh, mask of William Shatner's face. And, if you don't uh, know so- who Michael Myers is from Halloween, <laughs> right, you, live on the, you live in Russia right. in 1972. Or, or we're the ones who are in trouble. Because right. <laughs> this is not going to play. But um, surprisingly, when he shows up in that movie, uh, that mask is very clean for being 20 years later, 20 years of murdering and all that stuff. So he must put it away in the nightstand or something, you know, when he's done. But uh, anyway, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a young hockey player because we know that because he has a stick in his hand. He's not near a rink. Uh, No, just he just carries (laughs) a stick. We always which, you know, it's not that crazy. I mean, we, we fawn over our equipment. It's been, you know, as a hockey player, you love your hockey sticks, right? I mean, it's your, it's your main weapon that you 
spend too much money on it. That's the one. So anyway, he's got a wooden stick in his hand and this uh, nurse seems to think someone's in her house or someone went in her house. So she tells these kids, Hey, hockey boys, you know, go and go in the damn house. And so he goes in the house and he checks stuff out and he has some warning about how someone in the house shouldn't fuck with him because he's been suspended five times already this season for being too crazy with the stick. Right. A lot of stick work. A lot of stick work for this kid. Five suspensions. Wow. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you got to look this up. Um, he gets killed fairly early in the movie. And I'm sure uh, we the can way post a picture of this too. Yeah, we can do something. Should we put a little thing ready to like, uh, you know, call here and donate right. to, to our cause <laughs> right here. So uh, <laughs> he gets stabbed in the face by Michael Myers with Eric. What kind of skate is that? Uh, it looked like a CCM. I think that's an old Bauer Supreme. Really? What what we're revealing here is that Eric didn't even watch the fucking clip. <laughs> but if he did, he'd answer my question. It was some sort of old Bauer skate. I think I had Probably. those when I was a kid. They look like Easton Airs when I see the picture, but whatever. Okay, whatever. <laughs> he stabbed in the face like so, right, with this hockey skate. But in order to do that and make it look realistic, uh, the steel on the skate is three inches tall. And the fact that this is not newsworthy stuff in this country anymore. Yeah, it's an outrage. It's it's a total outrage. Yeah, I quit. That's yeah, I quit too. So we we fucking quit. <laughs> this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> this is fucking bullshit. It's a three inch tall steel. Yeah, it's stupid. It doesn't it's make any stupid. sense. You know, do a little bit of research. If you're going to implement hockey in any way into your movie, your, well, anything you can watch, I guess. I was going to say song. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. Just do right a little skates. fucking research, okay? And if, and if Michael Myers couldn't figure out how to kill someone with a real hockey skate, an unadulterated hockey skate, then he doesn't belong in your fucking movie. Yeah. Anyway. I think I'm going to go to bed. I think we did it. I think we did it too. 